Hey, Don. Hello, Zach. This week, you sent me a really interesting article from The New Yorker. It was sort of about the Department of Defense in very early stage research about AI warplanes. And not only that, but also the relationship of human pilots and the AI and how are they going to learn to dogfight together in the sky. And uh, here's the best paragraph I read. A fighter plane equipped with artificial intelligence could eventually execute tighter turns, take greater risks, and get off better shots than human pilots. But the objective of the ACE program is to transform a pilot's role, not to remove it entirely. As DARPA envisions it, the AI will fly the plane in partnership with the pilot, who will remain in the loop, monitoring what the AI is doing and intervening when necessary. According to the agency's Strategic Technology Office, a fighter jet with autonomous features will allow pilots to become battle managers, directing squads of unmanned aircraft like a football coach who chooses team members and then runs positions on the field to run plays. And Don, the article just goes on to talk about some of the challenges of getting humans and AI to work together in a plane, but also starts to ask some bigger questions about AI and war and how much control should humans have over these? What did you think about the article? It's no big surprise to me that the AI would be better at the battle and uh, dogfighting than our Top Gun pilots. I mean, AI is better at chess. It's better at Go. It's better at all sorts of complicated things that involve decision making. And so, of course, it's better at it. However, the idea that they have to mitigate the AI with humans or keep the humans from mitigating the IA in itself by partnering and how long will people let the computer get away with things before they stop it. It's just an interesting idea of how this interaction develops. I think it's really a segue to a point where we'll have all AI military and maybe that's out there already, but it is interesting and it's kind of looking into the future that doesn't seem to be nearly that far away. And I think that was sort of the theme of the article is right now we still want humans to be in control of the computer. At the same time, it just, as you mentioned, seems inevitable that the humans can't control it. They were talking about one of the challenges is they want the human to be able to have sort of a four second lead time in terms of what the AI plane is going to be doing as it's, as it's working through these dogfight maneuvers. And the human then, the more lead they get can kind of make choices about if this is a good move by the plane. But at the same time, they talk about how these planes take angles and go lower and fly closer to other planes and the ground that a human would ever do. And therefore, it seems almost impossible to get the human and the plane to work together, if you know what I'm saying. The AI is going to take these giant risks. And the human is there just to back it up and to, just in case it fails, I think, or just to land it, or they're just there because there's a spot. I'm not sure why the human has to be there, but the ultimate goal of the human is to get the person not to turn off the AI. And that's what the whole article is really about is, okay, well, if we let the human know four seconds before it happens, will they leave the AI on? Because when they gave the human no notice about what the AI was going to do, the human was more likely to turn it off. So the whole goal of the program is how do you get humans to never turn off the AI and just let it roll? And a big part of it is the trust, right? It's interesting because at this point, they've done surveys and about 80% of Americans still don't even trust the idea of an autonomous car. 
I can't imagine the idea of an autonomous plane and how people feel about that. Now, probably something we all forget about is that when we take a commercial flight, for the most part, there are human pilots there. But for the most part, it's all like AI that pretty much like fly these planes at this point. I just don't think we know it or we give ourselves the idea that there are humans flying it. But it just seems like to trust something like that at those kinds of speeds and doing the sort of dangerous work as a dogfight, that would be really hard. But I don't know. I don't know if I would sit in my Honda minivan if it was just AI and driving somewhere. Could I trust it? That seems like it'd be really difficult. When I talked to my friend about this who worked on AI cars for a long time, he said it actually might be easier in the air because the hardest part with AI cars is not the driving, but the interacting with humans and the unpredictability of the humans. And when you're driving a car, it's constant decision-making about who's walking their dog where, what's this other car going to do. In planes, even if it, the planes are moving really fast, they're not clustered together like cars and people are, especially in a big city. And you can have some sort of predictability about where they are. There's also three dimensions to avoid something. In cars, it's only two dimensions. So he said it actually would be probably easier to figure out in an airplane than it would be in cars. Although there's also the ground, which I think would be something that I would have a hard time with personally, at the same time I'm not a pilot, of how close are you going to that? And while you're right, there's a lot more space and fewer things moving around. And I guess maybe you could say less rules. I don't know. It, it to me is, would seem really difficult. And yet, while we don't want to trust things like planes or cars right now, maybe based upon AI, I was just thinking like, at this point, we trust calculators and credit cards, thermostats, alarm clocks, coffee makers to essentially turn on and, and work with us and stuff like that. Is it just a matter of we need another decade to kind of get the technology right? And then pretty soon we will trust this stuff. Or maybe young people already do. Haven't you walked around uh, during standardized testing and seen a kid put seven plus four on their computer while taking an SAT or a PSAT or something? And I always think, what are they doing? And then later I asked some kids, like, why would you put seven plus four to calculator? Like, because you got to double check. I said, no, it's 11. It's always 11. And then they said, no, no, I have to double check. They check, they trust the calculator more than they trust themselves. And so maybe it's just a generational thing. You know what? You make a great point. In fact, that was one of the themes of the movie Top Gun, of all things, was basically Iceman had to trust that Maverick would be his wingman or vice versa, I think, right? And the idea of like most human movies, most sports teams are always about people having to come together to trust each other, right? That's always a major theme we see in narratives. And therefore, is the next narrative getting humans to trust the AI? Yeah, according to this article, that is the next narrative. And if you trust the AI, you can be more productive. I really think this is a small segue before we go just AI. Unless we're afraid that the enemy will hack our planes, which seems very possible. And then it goes back to humans fighting humans. I don't know. This is kind of, there's so many limitless possibilities here. Well, that was part of the thing. And, and the, towards the end of the article, they just sort of went into this whole segment about AI and basically having the kill or no kill decision. Right now, the military and I guess our ethics boards or whoever think about this stuff have decided a human still needs to be making the final, are we going to kill it or not kill decision? And they talked about how there's still lots of errors. In fact, what was interesting was they were talking about how 
America has this perception that a lot of our fighting in Afghanistan and Iraq with these drones and kind of these targeted surgical strikes have uh, really gone successful. But apparently when you look at the data, apparently we've been misbombing and misshooting fairly regularly, which is kind of a disappointment and just kind of showing that, you know, the, the long range cameras and satellites that we have doing a lot of this sort of analysis maybe aren't as good or it's just really hard to figure out what exactly you're looking at. And therefore, maybe we are further off than we think we are. But then it just kind of says, this is still why you need a human making the kill or no kill decision. Yeah, and perhaps the humans understand the nuances that are the others don't. But I mean, what is that in a fighter pilot? Are we just going to have a dog fight? And I'm either going to, at the beginning of this dog fight, say kill or not kill? Or, you know, is it a momentary quick notice decision? Like, I, I, I don't, I'm not sure, but. I guess you do need to have the uh, you have to take some oversight because then we're too close to the uh, Terminator world where the uh, the AI comes and gets us. That seems to be have a little foresight there. Well, I had no idea that there are already big time thinkers and institutes that are trying to fight against the idea of killer AI. I mean, your boy Elon Musk there has got an institute and there's another one called the Future of Life Institute. And basically their goal is to convince the world that we can't have killer robots, basically. And the idea of, look, we really should be slowing this down and asking ourselves, do we want robots that can make decisions to kill? Because what could that lead to potentially? And, and maybe it gets out of our control. But they said, hey, in 2020, Military artificial intelligence spending was at about $6 billion. They think that is going to double by 2025. It's not just America looking into this. You've got China, who apparently has decommissioned all sorts of planes and has started to train them into suicide drones and basically operate as swarms and things that are just almost impossible to sort of stop. You've got Russia doing its sorts of research and stuff like that. I guess in some ways, this is a major issue that needs to be thought about and spent on now if you want to be able to keep up with it yeah there's a movie we watched i forgot what it is where there's like a drone assassination squad and it is very effective and i remember fred i think it's a tyler collins talked about like why have we had not had any drone assassinations yet it seems like it's very feasible but it hasn't been done yet i actually think this technology is here already if you've been paying attention there's been news stories for the last few years about these navy pilots that have seen this unidentified flying object that flies and accelerates at incredible rates of speeds. People are fairly certain that the, the U S Navy says they don't know what it is, but people are speculating it's aliens. I don't think it's aliens. I think it's whatever is the next new technology that the U S or China or Russia is experimenting with. And it's probably here already. We're just messing around with it, trying to figure it out. I would probably agree with you. I think if anything, this all sort of points to something else that Professor Cowan sort of mentioned on his blog, I think it was this week or last week, is just possibly how behind the times our nation is in terms of thinking about war. As you and I have talked about before, we still love to build tanks. The military industrial complex loves to keep making old school weapons that provide jobs to congressional districts. But everything is becoming much more technology-based, and probably we need to be thinking about things like cyber hacking and things like AI and making sure we have a good sense of what is our enemies are doing so that we can try to combat it. Absolutely. And like we said, like the Standing the Crystal interview we listened to was, it was uh, the fundamental misguided recruiting of soldiers. You know, the, the Army was at our high school today trying to recruit people. 
what did they do? They had a pull-up bar and they're seeing who, who could do the most pull-ups and we're giving them a t-shirt. I was like, I think you should have a calculus sheet. Or, or we send them over to the computer uh, science room, right? And what was kind of interesting was in this article, they talked about how DARPA, which is sort of the advanced research arm of the Department of Defense, and they're the guys that will come out and sort of put out a prize for groups of people to try to solve hard tasks. In fact, DARPA is now working on this AI sort of dogfighting stuff. But I read a book uh, 10 years ago about the kind of invention of the driverless car. And that was a DARPA project where at that time, it was all of the IED explosions that were happening to our soldiers in Iraq and Afghanistan from landmines. Their project was how can we get autonomous vehicles to go out and drive so that we don't have to put humans in danger. And that sparked all of this creation and, and programming and engineering and making driverless cars. And that is then what sparked Google and all these other places to start doing driverless car programs from this one project. It will be very interesting to see kind of what spawns off of this. And it just seems like it's the future. And therefore, in this article, they talk about how you have these groups of people they were they were simulating dog fighting, but they all took a different approach in the programming of the dog fight. And then they basically had computer planes fighting each other based upon their programs to then see who would win and get the opportunity to put it in a real plane. thought the whole thing was fascinating. Well, yeah, and the computer was going versus the computer for a while and it was going versus actual pilots and these simulators and the computer won like constantly. And then they were seeing how this whole thing works. And I think you hit upon a good good spot there was that the DARPA program, I believe the autonomous car was a contest to get from point A to point B in the desert. And those people that won were the ones hired by Google to do their Google driverless car, their uh, Waymo program. And so the start of contests to get this going is a great way to go and really helps you develop the scientists, which are now fairly entrenched. That was what, 12 years ago? Yeah. Exactly. And you've got a whole industry. I mean, you now have all of our major auto industries are working on these problems based upon just kind of this initial seed. Yeah, I think they're disinvesting a little bit as they have to triple down on electrification, seeing as that is where everything is sprinting to as fast as they can. I think you make a good point. Should we possibly not be so worried about what the humans think? I mean, part of this article is just talking about like all of the psychology behind making the pilot be this quote unquote battle manager, right? And how do you get them to trust the technology? And I don't know, maybe you don't need the human. In fact, I wanted to read you a quote because I feel like this quote, which comes from the article, could have been in an alternative version of the movie Top Gun. Basically, they had a, a pilot do a simulation with the AI and the pilot kept pulling up or the pilot kept disengaging the AI because it just didn't trust it. And, you know, this basically like, like the computer programmer walks over to the pilot and kind of gives them a debriefing. And here's what they said. They said, you would be the perfect example of someone we need to influence because, and I do not mean this to be rude at all. You completely violated the construct of the experiment. He told the pilot, you were deciding to not let the AI do the job that it's put there to do even though it was actually performing fine in the sense of not getting you killed. If we want to make you a battle manager in 30 years, we need to be able to push that behavior in the opposite direction. Now, that's not as cool as that bald guy saying you're going to be hauling rubber dog shit out of Hong Kong or whatever, but you could almost see somebody yelling at this pilot 
you know, that you're not good enough. And what is he not good enough? Trusting a machine. Yeah. And ultimately, I think the pilots are, as much as I'd love to be a pilot, are middle management because in the reality, the air traffic controllers tell the pilots where to go, where to fly, and then the pilots do it. Actually, now the pilots tell the computer in the, in the plane itself which way to fly. And so why can't the air traffic controllers just tell the AI where to go? And for that matter, why don't they say, just tell it, defend this uh, area of the, the, around the aircraft carrier at all costs? And so it seems like the pilots are going to be redundant pretty soon. It's just, do we need them there in case the AI fails or is hacked? Or maybe pilots think of way too much of themselves. Well, I mean, let's face it. I think there is a, at least a perceived culture of pilot that kind of still walks out of the idea of the right stuff, right? These guys that are very cocky, very confident, very capable, very smart, who can fly these huge planes and do things that most mortals just can't do. And there's a certain level of arrogance that just kind of has to come with the job. And now all of a sudden we've got computer scientists basically browbeating them because they still want to do their job. And I think that just seems to be coming in and having two different total goals, which I think is going to be a problem. Absolutely. Actually, my dad knows a fighter pilot who flew off of aircraft carriers in the 80s. And I, sh- I don't know. We should probably see if we can get him in here. At least we can get some feedback. Him. Maybe we'll get him to listen. Well, one of the questions I still had, and I guess I was still surprised, is And again, I got to go with my only reference to dogfighting, which comes from the movie Top Gun, is are we still doing a lot of dogfighting? Or, I mean, when was the last time we had major aerial conflict? I mean, I know that in World War II, that was a major part of the Churchill book, was the battle for Britain was basically fought in the air. And there was a ton of dogfighting that happened there. I'm assuming maybe we had some in Vietnam, but... You know, again, Top Gun makes it think like we're always out there fighting these huge, expensive aircrafts uh, against each other. But I, I don't you don't read about it. And at the same time, you got to be ready. Well, Vietnam, there's a lot. John McCain fought in Vietnam, was shot down. There was a whole lot of dogfighting there. Maybe was the- that bombing stuff, though, they were doing or was it actual aerial to aerial combat? I think it was aerial to aerial. I think the Russian MiGs were used by the uh, Vietnamese pilots or okay. North Vietnamese pilots um falklands war maybe argentina bringing up a lot of fighters i i don't know i think there was this kind of jousting and kind of floating around we see it more in the sea right now you know we take our ship and go right by the chinese ship or the russian ship and they kind of pretend they're going to ram us and they don't i imagine if it's happening on water it's probably happening in the air as well we just don't hear about it as much Well, and air superiority is obviously super important. You can't bring in your bombers unless you've kind of cleared the skies. And same thing with, you know, you can't really get your boats where you want to go if you can't keep them protected from the sky. So I I see why you'd always want to have lots of people ready to do this job. I just sort of hadn't thought about it. The other thing I just kind of thought interesting about this article was you'd think all this training would be out in the desert or over an ocean, but yet all this training and flying is happening over Lake Ontario. I, I thought that was surprising. <laughs> well, they're just practicing, right? And they got military bases that are not using for anything else. I imagine that we closed a bunch of bases, but the ones that are around, they still got to be doing something. Um, yeah, it is interesting that it's over Lake Ontario. Maybe you can break the speed of sound over Lake Ontario. You can't do it over land. I don't know if it's big enough for that. 
I, I don't know. I just thought like, I mean, that's like the people of Toronto and other major cities that like, are, are they watching this or, I mean, aren't they worried about accidents with the AI and maybe, I don't know, one just like making big damage inside of a great lake or on the, on the coast of it. It just seemed like you'd want to be practicing this somewhere else, I guess. Well, if they're practicing that over Lake Ontario, what do you think they're practicing over uh, area 51 and the uh, South China Lake and all those uh, very secret desert bases? No, that's a very good point. I mean, you know, now that we've started to declassify like some of our nuclear tests, you realize that there's a lot of tiny islands in the Pacific that might not even exist anymore after we were blasting stuff over there. Mm -hmm. Now, here's an idea, though. Okay, so if we're struggling to get our pilots, who are obviously highly trained people, to trust the AI... Is it possible we shouldn't be using pilots to do this job anymore? Maybe we have a separate just sort of like human wing that they just continue to do their training, but instead we just need average Joes like you and I who don't know how to fly planes. My point is this is there was a tremendous ESPN 30 for 30 documentary about the national Russian hockey team of like the 1960s, 70s, and 80s. And the coach that sort of was behind the entire program knew nothing about hockey. After like World War II, the government went to this guy and was like, look, we need to showcase the great red machine. We want to get good at hockey. And therefore, we are going to fly you around the world to just go watch hockey, figure out how to play this game. We want to be good at it. And so like we sent the guy to like Canada and America and like hockey essentially was just like this big brute sport where like for the most part guys were just spending most of the time fighting, punching, throwing each other in the boards. And the Russian coach like saw this beautiful game of skating, spacing, passing. And that's how Russia got really good is they just played the game differently than everybody else. They didn't have any preconceived notions of how to play it. And you and I had read a New Yorker article a couple of years ago about some dad who took his like daughter's sixth grade basketball team and they got really good, not because they had kids that were good at basketball, because they just started pressing everybody and nobody could like beat it because he wasn't like attached to like the preconceived notions of what basketball was. And then look at like Elon Musk and how he's developed his car company and his rocket company. They're so different than the kind of preconceived ways of how you do that. Is it possible like people like you and I should just get in the cockpit? We don't know how to fly a plane, but maybe then we wouldn't know how to like not trust the AI. Yeah, I think you have to have some sort of base knowledge and that would be what they would do. I actually was riding a ferry back from South Manitou Island a couple of years ago, and I ended up chatting with this guy who was training to be a drone pilot for the U.S. military. And they first taught him how to fly using real planes and stuff. He got his basic pilot's license, but then he just stayed in a bunker and was just remote control flying these drones that are flying all over the world that we've heard about with these strikes and so forth. And so he's developed not to be a pilot of an actual plane, he knows enough to be like the basic, you know, of how flight works. But from now on, he's just drones, 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 drones. And maybe he's got a whole different perspective on it than does somebody that's went to the Naval Academy and learned to flight school and aircraft carriers and so forth. And so it's a different program. So, yeah, maybe that's what they're doing already. Now, that seems like another area you should go out and recruit for, right, is I guess kids that like video games or are good at, you know, kind of maneuvering things. I mean, that, that, that seems like another area that would be 
something we should be focusing on in terms of investment in the military. At the same time, there's got to be a weird detachment. I mean, you think about kids that play the Call of Duty games or whatever, and they're just kind of shooting other digital things on a screen, and we don't think much about it because we're like, oh, it's just a game. But all of a sudden now, what happens when the game is actually real, if that makes sense? Well, and I remember reading somewhere that snipers have bad PTSD because they watch through their scope as the, they kill the person. And the pilots, for the most part, are fairly well removed because they're dropping bombs and uh, from a bomber really high up and they don't really see the awful effects of what they do. But if you're a drone pilot, you probably see exactly which, where you're going, the house, the people, the kids outside. Like, I imagine that's going to be super, uh, super mentally well adjusting. And so if that makes any sense. Well, and just once again, it's that idea of we still have a policy in place of it's ultimately a human's decision on the kill or no kill. And I think that still is the right way to go. I don't think you want machines making these decisions. But as you're saying, like, how much longer is that? You could say maybe it provides more relief for the humans. But at the same time, like, man, we're spending a lot of time talking about war. And I guess it's just kind of sad that here we are still talking about war and how do you beat the enemy, right? And I guess we're at least debating this idea of kill, no kill. And I guess, do you hope that your major enemies, Russia, China, places around the world, do you hope they're having these kinds of ethical debates? Well, as we speak, Russia is invading Ukraine with tanks on the ground and people. So as far as, yeah, yes, this is absolutely important, but I'm not sure it's the be all and end all if we're going to have a war where people take over a nation. That still seems to be boots on the ground. It does. And, and you know, it's funny because I had written this question down for you today is like, how do you think this conflict in the Ukraine is fought if AI was in charge? Do you think this thing is looking really different or do you think we would still have the same uh, same sort of ongoings that we're seeing right now. Maybe we got it all wrong. Now, Russia is not a very rich nation. Their economy is the size of Italy, and they have all these legacy nuclear weapons, somewhere around 6,000 of them, but they're not going to use them in this conflict, it seems, and thankfully. But so they're just invading with boots on the ground. Maybe that's all they have. Maybe that's the best way to do it. I'm not sure. I'm sure there's people paying close attention, but Ultimately, if you're going to occupy a country, if that's in fact what you want to do, then you do this. I mean, we occupied Afghanistan for a long time. It wasn't that fun, pleasant, or successful in the long run. Same thing with Iraq. I don't know if wars are going to be fought this way from the American side. Maybe Russia is just fighting a 1980s war in the year 2022. Or is what we're seeing in the Ukraine exactly why you want humans? I guess, still in charge of your conflict, because as sad as the Ukraine situation is right now, you're watching all sorts of leaders on both sides be very delicate about what they're saying and what they're doing. You're right. You're seeing a lot of boots and tanks on the ground from the Russians. I'm sure they've got more powerful weapons behind them. It's a nuclear nation. At the same time, they seem to have had some restraint in terms of bringing out all of their big weapons to start here. At the same time, they also seem to be very carefully watching how America and the rest of the EU and NATO kind of respond. And I think one of the questions is, is why hasn't America or NATO sent any boots in the ground in the Ukraine? Instead, they're just kind of taking some economic sanctions that they can kind of keep ramping up if they feel they need to. And is this all because everybody wants to avoid 
a bigger confrontation? Is it because everybody just wants to see how they're going to react to the kind of small moves and that nobody just comes out and plays uh, their Trump card right away, if you know what I'm saying? And yet, would AI act like this? Would AI be able to understand that Ukraine is not a part of NATO and that Ukraine is the perfect ground for Russia to sort of invade because nobody can quite do anything because it's not tied to a treaty. And again, there's this weird dance that's happening that that humans are all in charge of still. Yeah, I guess you have to nail down what is the goal. I think the for the AI, it's win this fighter battle or protect this area or get the opposition in this area. Or I don't know what it is. I, I, it doesn't. How does the parameters measure? We don't know nearly enough to answer these questions. No, you're right, and and I think that's just sort of something that I think is interesting. And I do think though, the the current event of the Ukraine makes me wonder a lot about this kind of technology. And is it possible we might see some of it unveiled uh, at some point if again cooler heads don't prevail or people don't kind of de-escalate? Because usually what you keep seeing is the escalation in all of this and, and people keep advancing. And at what point do you see people say, you know what, more resistance has got to put be put up against the Russians. And that could bring out new technologies that maybe people haven't necessarily seen yet, but do exist. I'm sure we're watching very, very carefully. Well, I don't know. It, it's a, it was a fascinating article and, and something that I think everybody should sort of read and what do you think? Do you think it's inevitable, Don, that we just sort of do have AI killing technology that will not be able to be put back into Pandora's box, if you know what I'm saying? Yes. And the other thing I was thinking about, though, is if you're going to have this AI technology and the ultimate fear is that, well, there's two fears. One is that your opposition has this technology better than you and can dominate your nation and take over and kill you whenever you want. Two is that your own little army of AI turns against you. And that's what was in the movie Terminator and it's kind of interesting, but if you're going to build this AI system, you're going to have tons of redundancies, decentralized computer systems, and all sorts of banks of computing power that are bent, meant to resist any, uh, uh, any attack by the opposition. It does seem to be a place where it's like, okay, this is going to be like a, a, a unstoppable killing machine. And when can we turn it off? How do we turn it off? And it becomes quite a crazy thing to think about. And I think we'll see it in our lifetime. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I, I think it's interesting that you mentioned the idea of lots of redundancies or people being able to hack into it. I, I've read quite a few now sort of modern day science fiction stories that try to talk about the idea of future warfare. And a lot of it is always based on the idea that where are your semiconductors and your chips being made? And the idea that, you know, are they being made in a place that could be, you know, putting in some sort of a, of a tracking device or some sort of a thing that can break into it or hack into the, the chip when needed. And therefore, as a military grade product, do you need to make sure that, you know, from the very base level of the construction, it's not being hacked into to, to try to avoid what you're talking about? Yeah, these type of backdoors are found or zero day exploits is what they call it in the software world. And um, when you find them, the US government wants to find them to protect their own interests, but there's also other agencies that want to find them so they can hack other people. I mean, th this is a whole nother problem.
usually the solution at the end is they start digging out the old war planes and boats from like World War II that didn't have any chips in them. And that's what we have to use to like try to save the world. Or we have to go back to the human pilots because we can't trust the AI and got to turn that off and stuff like that. And therefore, I guess in some ways, you got to make sure that you're still training your humans to be able to do to the best of their capabilities in case you can't trust the technology. I give us slim chances against the AI killing machine. I think that's the premise of Top Gun 2, by the way. I'm not positive, but I think it's about like Tom Cruise having to like beat the computer. Yeah, well, we'll see soon. I'll be watching. Yes, yes. We'll have a Top Gun preview coming up here in a couple of months. Well, Don, it's been a pleasure talking with you this week, and uh, I look forward to talking with you next week. Absolutely, Zach. Have a good one. Take care.